0: News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 108 of the Luke show. We have a little bit to cover. Uh, today, so I hope to be as quick as possible. Um, I'm going to talk a lot about some changes that are going to go on in Texas this week and the idea that we our mask mandate will be lifted statewide and um, Let's see, today's Monday that I'm recording this. Tomorrow will be Tuesday when this is released, and it'll be the day after that on Wednesday that the mask mandate statewide will end. Um, I want to take us back to why we went under a mask mandate in the first place and then explain to you why it was taken away so that you understand the power that the people of Texas have politically to affect the policy that you're under. We are ruled by a particular type of governor. Okay, If you are in California, your governor is a fundamentally liberal, big-government, worldview governor. That's Gavin Newsom. Or in New York, Andrew Cuomo is a fundamentally big-government liberal who also has all sorts of other corruption issues that he's dealing with, too. So you have a corrupt liberal. Um, If you live in the state of South Dakota or particularly Florida, um, you have a governor who has— Picked, who have picked in South Dakota and Florida, basically limited government approaches to the pandemic. So they had a view that, like, government should not micromanage the lives of citizens, period. This is just not the right approach to take. And so, as a result of that, they did not institute statewide mask mandates, they did not institute statewide business shutdowns to the extent that we did in our state. Um, Not only that, I mean, while Ron DeSantis was opposing a statewide mask mandate period, he often was going in and telling other local governments, you can't force these mask mandates either. So now let's talk about what we had in Texas. So if you lived in California or New York, that's what you had. And you were under that type of governorship and you knew what you had. And in Florida, you knew that we have these generally conservative executives who take their job seriously and don't believe in, one, ruling by a pen with executive order, and two, uh, have a general limited government perspective in how they're going to govern. And in Texas, it was a little different. So the pandemic hit, and these mask mandates started getting talked about. And Greg Abbott uh, went on had a conversation with a TV station and said, we're, we're not going to mandate masks in Texas. That's, that's not how we do things. And the reason he said that at the time was we were early enough in the pandemic that his political calculations were that that is the best position for me to take, right? And he talked about liberty and freedom, but we now know that that's not really a Uh, that wasn't really a consideration because you wouldn't just violate everybody's liberty and freedom over COVID. Uh, The the numbers would not have proved out that like literally I need to do this to save everyone's life. They never were there. But early on, he said, look, we're not going to institute statewide mask mandates. Politically, his calculation was and his entire team said, this is the best position for us to take for where we want to go politically. But within... As time went on, it became very evident to them that that was not the route they wanted to take. In fact, their calculus had to have been that in the long run, it's going to be better for us politically if the heavy hand of the governor just comes down and we rule by executive order. No legislative input eight, nine months of us just doing whatever we want. Shut whatever businesses down we want to shut down. Mandate every single mask we want to mandate. Micromanage the lives of people because we have to get through this. And that belief was a political calculation that if we conduct things in this manner, it'll be better for us in the long run. So they believed that the Ron DeSantis's of the world And the Christy gnomes of the world in South Dakota and Florida, those type of governors who were giving a comparative approach, a different approach, uh, that when you drew the comparisons between those states and Texas, that you would think, wow, man, those like crazy libertarian right-wingers really cost their states big time. And so that was the calculation. Bring it down. Big government. No, liberty, freedom, those were talking points earlier it's time to govern, and they stepped in. Now, month goes by, two months go by, three months go by, four months go by. And Abbott had a problem. His calculus was not working out. People were not dying on the streets in Florida or South Dakota. They weren't even dying at a higher rate than they were dying here in Texas or New York or California. What proved to be the case is that there is not direct correlation to heavy-handed government mandates everywhere and lives being saved. So you would think as soon as that is brought to light, you'd go, okay, well then let's not mandate everything over everybody. But the problem is when you institute a mandate in the name of public safety— You have set up for yourself a narrative that means that when you take it away, it's because you don't want to keep people safe because you said this would keep people safe to begin with. Once you literally borrow the talking points of California and New York, don't be confused as to why the politician has to stay in that mode. So Abbott had to stay in this mode. I need to keep these mask mandates in place because I said it was to keep people safe. So if I remove the mask mandate, it'll be because... People, it, it'll, be, it'll mean that I'm okay with people not being safe. Or, here's the last thing, which is what politicians won't do. He'd have to admit he was wrong. That actually is what he would have had to do. And that is not what the governor of Texas does. They do. They do. In fact, that's a lot of politicians. Most of the elected class in Texas will never admit that they were wrong. So that's not really on the table. You don't understand. It's all political. There is no, wow, we went down a certain route, but that was wrong. Let's recalibrate. Uh-uh. They're all political conversations, and you can't admit you're wrong. Therefore, you have to find out how and why you're going to remove the mask mandates. Now, we are super happy that the mask mandates have been taken away. It's a great thing for Texas. And you should. Walk around like a normal person, Okay. Those people walking around with a cloth mask over their face are not keeping themselves and you protected. They're not. Okay, I digress. It's a political calculation, so we had to figure out a political talking point to remove these mask mandates. And the motivation came based on several things. One is an absolute catastrophic freeze where incompetencies were shown and revealed, and the governor was directly in line of responsibility. ERCOT reports to the PUC. The PUC is chaired completely by three governor appointees, and they were appointed by none other than Governor Greg Abbott. And he's dealing with all sorts of political problems. In fact, polling shows that a lot of Texans are not happy with the way he handled that. And so there was a political Motivation to distract from the freeze situation. There was also political motivation in that we just had a CPAC poll, which is the largest conservative political gathering every year in the United States. And they asked, who would you vote for for president in 2024? And everyone in Texas knows that Governor Abbott is going to run for president in 2024. And he polled at 0% of the vote. And I don't know, I mean, I'm not a brilliant political consultant, but I can tell you that you want to poll above zero. Okay, Um, they took Donald Trump out of the poll, so it was just like other electeds, and he pulled at point one percent. Okay, just to give you perspective, John Kasich pulled at point two percent. John Kasich voted and cut an endorsement video for Joe Biden. So, like literally, of a gathering of conservatives, more of those conservatives were like, "I want the turncoat John Kasich over Governor Greg Abbott." So clearly, there is very little love coming the way of the Texas governor because he's governing. very similarly to that of other liberal states. And so this push and this pull and these issues he's trying to distract from all push a situation where he's motivated to say, okay, I'm getting nothing but criticism for this. This is very much hurting my perception amongst Republicans. I need to lift this immediately. And he does. That's a huge win for Texans. Milton Friedman had has a quote. I mean, had a quote because he's not hearing, but had a quote. Um, that said, basically, if you want to get something done, it's not enough to elect enough of the right people who want to do the right thing. You have to create an environment where the wrong people want to do the right thing. And that's something that Texans need to understand, is that if you're an individual in Texas and you're trying to affect political change on an issue you really, really care about, you need to make it politically beneficial for the wrong person to do the right thing. And that's unfortunate. This is kind of how Republicans have governed. So um, there's two different potential ways to go about doing something. You, You take a particular issue, okay, and you go, hey, what position could I take, could I push that will be the winning position, okay? And that is the way a lot of Republicans operate, especially our elected officials. I mean, they basically go, this bill pulls well with these different groups of people, so if I push this policy, it will... Win me support, and I am more likely to win as a result of what I'm pushing. Now, what's not asked is, will this policy actually fix the problem? See, what I think we should be doing is is basically running these things through a calculator of what will fix the problem? This. Okay, now let me fight like heck to make sure that that is the winning issue, that that is the winning position to take, because it's needed. We see that with the freeze response. I mean, honestly, you have a bunch of politicians pushing a lot of bills that basically just say, if we are ever caught in a situation exactly like what Texas just went through, where the freeze hits, just like it hit, well, we won't lose your power. You won't lose your power. But oh, by the way, if anything else happens, yeah, we're not ready for that. We're not even changing things to be ready for that. The next crisis regarding your power grid isn't going to be the one you just went through. That's the whole point. You're not prepared. You're not looking ahead. But politically, it's beneficial because you can tell everybody I did something, whether or not it's going to long-term protect you and save you. So we have an executive who has navigated things from a political perspective, which is why he hasn't changed. When he said Texas is never going to institute a mask mandate, just like Florida, he said so because he thought it was politically best for him to say it. When he mandated the masks and shut down businesses for months It was because he decided that politically in the long run, that was what was going to be best for him. And when he lifted the mask mandate, it's because he decided that that is what was going to be best for him to do politically. So the Texas Senate, and you can go to Texas scorecard to read about this. Jeremy Kitchen has written a piece, senators rally around bills aimed at curbing the governor's emergency authorities. The Texas Senate seems to understand this issue a little bit more, to be honest. And, um, while we're here, I'm going to actually look up. Uh, I'm going to look up the current bill to see if anything has changed since I last tweeted about this. But the Senate seems to be, I, I think, a little clearer regarding their understanding that we have a political governor, and therefore he will, when given this executive authority, abuse it uh, to the point of, you know, really not being able to. And actually I'm scrolling through this while I'm talking about this, but essentially they've seen that because you have a governor who's very political and will use his emergency powers to declare any type of emergency to give him the power to then dictate everything, uh, they got to put that in check. OK, so Brian Birdwell has filed legislation and this legislation is going to put a, a decent check on the governor, uh, SJR 45. And this is a constitutional amendment regarding the powers of the governor and the legislature following certain disasters. Jeremy Kitchen has written about this. And uh, essentially, this is going to uh, mean that the governor is limited in how long he can dictate uh specific things to Texans. So think of it this way. We have this emergency declaration and the governor can basically say, ah, X is an emergency. And he can kind of call this over whatever he wants. In fact, he did this because he didn't want to call the legislature back for a special session when plumbers weren't licensed, which the right thing to do would have said that's a legislative job and they didn't license plumbers and I want them licensed. So I'm calling them back. And he didn't want to do it. This is two years ago. And the reason he didn't want to do it is because then people would have said, hey, why don't we pass pro-life legislation while we're here for the special session, which he didn't want to talk about these culture issues. And so instead he decided, I'm going to declare a statewide emergency from now till next session, and I'm going to declare Harvey the emergency, and say that plumbers need to be licensed for the next 18 months. So he's saying the state of Texas is under an emergency for 18 months so that he can personally license all the plumbers for 18 months while they're waiting to come back into session. And so the Senate has seen this abuse of executive power, which is really brought to light even more during the pandemic, but realize it's a it's a club that the governor wants to use for every single thing he ever wants done, just declare an emergency and... Then you can pass a bunch of executive orders that hold the weight and force of law without needing legislative approval. So it's it's a king-like position of power. So the Senate has said, hey, if you want this power for more than 30 days, you have to call the legislature back and let them vote on whether you should get that power. See, that's the check and balances we have. That's the constitutional system we live in. If you want to pass laws, that's the legislature's job. You're not the legislature. You're the governor. You're the president. You're the executive Position. Republicans love criticizing Joe Biden's executive orders, but we're the party of self governing who hates talking about ourselves whenever we're the ones abusing power, which is what Governor Abbott has been doing consistently. But in the Senate, you have in Senate Bill 1025 and in SJR 45, clearly the Texas Senate is much more serious about saying we need to put this situation in check. On the House side, you have House Bill 3, which has been filed by Dustin Burroughs, and that is the opposite of the Senate's approach. That is a bill that says we think it is appropriate for the governor to have this executive authority. In fact, we want him to have it endlessly, and we would like his executive orders to hold the weight of law. It's really funny because in there it says his executive orders are not law. Well, duh. I know. They're not a bill. They're not a law passed legally. Okay? And then they go, but his executive orders hold the weight of law. And so this is their way to be able to tell you, hey, I pushed to make sure that none, no executive order ever passed by any governor is a law. Well, we know it's not a law, okay? You just stated fact. Legislature will often do this when, when they balance the budget. They'll say, hey, I balanced the budget. Well, that's constitutionally required. You can't not balance the budget. You literally can't come home until you balance the budget. And so they love taking credit for something that's like, duh. It doesn't matter who's the state rep. No executive order is a law. But... They do say, but we give it the weight of law. Well, so you're making all of his executive orders a law. Well, that's what the bill does. HB3, and you can go back to 106B. I don't need to go into too many details because the truth is that, one, if you've listened to this show, you've already heard my rant and Matt Rinaldi and Tony McDonald talking about this issue. But House Bill 3 is a straight-up endorsement of the entire governor's dictatorial actions during the pandemic. Okay? Even when it says like, oh, well, we're not going to seize your guns. Well, Abbott didn't seize your guns. We're not going to close your churches. Well, Abbott first didn't protect the churches, and then when they were kind of shown to be in danger, he's like, oh, crud, and he went back and protected the churches. But you know, they're basically saying anything governor did, great. This is the kind of dictator we want. HB3 basically like says we want a dictator that doesn't take your guns, doesn't close churches, but can do anything else he wants to do. Um, And I haven't seen any Republican get out there and really defend the bill, to be completely honest. I haven't even seen Dustin Burroughs do it publicly. I know privately he's texting a ton of people and trying to get all these talking points out there. But uh, there have been several legislators that got out there and tried to basically just criticize the critics, but they're not defending the bill or they're trying to not say they're defending the bill. So it will be very interesting to see if House Republicans actually decide what they believe on this. Um, And it's going to be a very spirited debate. Here's the other thing you have to understand, though. HB3 has been designed to protect the emergency powers of the governor. So there's a specific section of law that protects the emergency powers of the governor. And what they're doing is they've copied and pasted that, and they've moved it into a pandemic section of code. So now we're going to debate what power a governor should have just during a pandemic. All other emergencies, we're not debating in the House right now. And the other reason to do that is because when it comes to the floor, even if the House sees fit to put different restrictions on the position of governor, it's still a bill that protects all the other emergency powers because it's been written specifically different. So if a legislator tried to amend it and say, hey, I want to make sure that all of these different declared emergencies require some legislative input, so you can't just pass laws or executive orders that hold the weight of law for 18 months, over Texans, unchecked, it wouldn't matter because all that would say is next time a COVID pandemic hits, they can't do that, but they can do it regarding any other declared declaration. So it was also another really smart move that I think, um, you know, Representative Burroughs and the governor made to set up a bill in such a way that even if it does slightly restrict the governor. He's still in near-dictatorial positions regarding all other issues he thinks are an emergency. So these are the issues before us. House Bill 3 has a hearing on Thursday. The Texas Senate um, is going to consider these bills. Uh, if you are a Republican and you want to know the Republican senators who currently are not supporting these efforts, a vast majority of Republicans, I believe 11 of them, um, have signed on to the bill, uh, ele- Well, including— Senator Birdwell, it's 12. So the missing Republicans who are withholding their support from this legislation right now are Kelly Hancock, Brian Hughes, Joan Huffman, Jane Nelson, Larry Taylor, and Kel Seliker. So if, if you do care about these types of issues, those, and you happen to know people or live in those districts, you can reach out to those senators and ask them what their position is regarding uh, the dictatorial authority that the governor has interpreted himself to have and whether they think that should be in check. And if they do, why they haven't signed on to legislation that's specifically designed to do just that. And in the House, there's going to be a robust debate. And I would really encourage all of you to follow it because the reality is a lot of legislators don't really, uh, they they don't necessarily care that the governor uses his position as a dictator because the truth is that's actually not a bad place for him to be. Um, it actually takes all the heat off of them. So when you're a business owner locally and you come to them and you go, I can't believe I'm being shut down and can't feed my family, and they go, man, I'm so sorry that happened to you. The governor's doing it. I can't do anything about it. I'm not in session. But if I set up a bill in such a way that says, no, I get called back, now I have to take a position on this controversial issue. And politicians usually don't like to be in that position. So most of them probably aren't that upset about a governor who has – unchecked authority. But constitutionally, just to remind everybody, we have these three branches of government co-equal. The legislature is just as powerful as the governor. The governor is just as powerful as the court system. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it has turned out to be. In fact, it's all been flipped. The court is the strongest, the executive is under them, and the legislature is the puny little guys underneath. And the legislature are the ones closest to the people that know the people the best. So here's the problem with that system. Once the court says, hey, a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man, other governing bodies literally say, well, that's just, that's how it is. That's the new reality. But that's not true. That's just their ruling on that one issue in particular to those people in that case. And then the executive can pass these executive orders that hold the weight of law left and right, and the legislature goes, ah, well, nothing I can do about it. So they've allowed the system to be flipped, and it's really important that we bring these branches back into co-equal branches of government. I hope that we at least have that kind of discussion in the legislature moving forward. Thank you so much for continuing to follow our content. This is going to be a very busy session. It is a very slow session right now. Um, The legislature is specifically running things slowly to run out of time because we have a ton that we need to do for conservative priorities to actually make sure that Texas is in a position to be able to keep you Texans prosperous and thriving and they need to run out of time. The system is designed to do that. In fact, the governor designates these emergency items. This is the last thing I'll, I'll tell you just to kind of give you an insight into how this process works. So the legislature is not allowed to take action on bills up to 60 days, okay? Meaning they can't just hear House Bill 38 by Representative... Tom Oliverson. They can't just hear House Bill 38. I don't even know if that's his bill, by the way, so don't go look it up. Okay, House Bill 38 by Tom Oliverson. Hold a hearing, get testimony on it, vote it out of committee, send it to the calendars committee, set it on the calendar, bring it to the floor, debate it, vote on it, pass it, move it to the Senate. That can't happen for the first 60 days of the legislative session, except for issues that the governor designates emergency items. And this is specifically designed so that the governor can say these are emergency items and in those first 60 days they're not distracted by all these other issues, right? So they actually take those bills, they hear them and work on them and have committees and have debates and have lively discussions and move them out so that after 60 days they can work on all the other issues facing Texas. But the Senate and the House have not heard those bills. And those bills aren't even working actively their way through the committee process, okay? And so... Why is the question? Because the governor came to him 30 days after and said, here's the deal. So for 30 days, they could have filed these bills, had hearings on these bills, voted on these bills. Why didn't they do it? Because they need the governor's emergency items to help gum up the system for the second half of the session. That way they can say, I'm so sorry we didn't pass that bill on the Second Amendment or on illegal immigration. I'm sorry we still kept those taxpayer subsidies for illegal immigrants. But unfortunately, we had to work on election integrity in April when they could have done it in February. In fact, it was one of the only things they could do in February, but they didn't. Why? Because the system has to be slowed down so that when they don't deliver the results that the people expect of them, they have some excuses. Anyways, welcome to the Texas legislature. Welcome to 2021. We have a lot to work on, and we have a legislature who is working slower than ever to work on those issues. I hope you have a blessed week. God bless you and God bless Texas. Thank you for listening to the Luke Messiah show. This program is brought to you by scorecard media. Check out Texas scorecard.com to read up on all things, Texas scorecard media has other podcasts as well. Yeah. They're not as good as this one, but you should still check them out. Honestly, though, visit texasscorecard.com to see all the content they're producing on a daily basis. If you'd like our podcast to grow, please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review. That helps others find the content we're producing. Thank you. God bless you and God bless Texas.